So, this is Vibe Drive episode 145, and in this episode, we are going back to the future because the very first guest we ever had on this podcast is coming back. He's here, he's live, he's next on Vibe Drive, which starts now. What's up, people? This your boy, Viper, the man about tech. And welcome back to another episode of Fight Drive. This is the podcast about tech, hosted by the man about tech. And today we have the return of the very first guest we've ever had on this podcast. One of the true legends of tech YouTube. One of the OGs of the YouTube tech space. Let me bring out the man, John Ranger. Woo! Yes, I I think you should always be yelling at me to slip into a Slim Jim. It's good <laughs> to be here. It's good to be back. Oh, man. So from the last time you were here until now, we have done 143 episodes, and you are back in the building. Thank you, sir, for being here today. I'm in the building and happy to be here. Oh, I appreciate you, man. Thank you, thank you, thank you. So that's, believe it or not, John, it's been two years since we've been live on this podcast, which is kind of crazy. I don't it's think I, a long time. I think I had just sold Techno Buffalo when we did it. Right, right. It's the first time I talked about it, I think. Right, that that is correct. I mean, I to be honest, man, I don't know if I would have had realized that the podcast would be where it is today when you first came two years ago. But we we have gone places with the podcast, man. So again, thank you for joining me, bro. Listen, dude, it is it is well deserved. I see you out there. I see you out there hustling, putting the grind. I have a ton of respect for how you conduct yourself in uh, in the community. Well, thank you, thank you, thank you, man. I appreciate you. So, I have an interesting first question for you. By the way. What is your daily smartphone driver right now? What do you? Oh, I, I know some of us hate that term, but what is your daily phone at the moment? Uh, two phones. So iPhone 12 Pro Max, and switching between the S21 Ultra and I just I can't quit the Galaxy Z Fold 2. Oh, I, oh, I, I oh, love oh. it. I can't quit it. I keep like, oh, I'm just gonna sell it until next one. Comes oh, you're out. not gonna sell bring myself to do not. it. You are not selling that Fold 2. That is a Viper favorite. You need to hold on to that. <laughs> I, I can't bring myself to do it. I just I love. I just I love what it does. Yeah. I like having an iPhone. I like having an Android. So it's a happy marriage in my pockets. Okay, so you kind of just threw me for a loop with that answer. So uh, let me let me uh, let me see how this goes. For the longest time, you have done you have done like an experiment with your smartphone. Yep. For one half of the year, you'll carry an Android, and then the other half of the year, you'll carry an iPhone. Now you just told me you are working with two phones. So. When I hear you say that, it kind of sounds like you only use one phone. But have you always used two phones, or do you normally only use one? You know, I've, so I, I do that experiment. I'm probably going to go switch back to Android only, and I'll probably go to the S21 Ultra uh, probably sometime this month, and I'll go for six months until the next iPhone comes out, whatever, 12S or 13. Switch that for six months, and then kind of wash and repeat. Um, so generally, you know, I've got I have SIMs for every carrier, so you know, usually I do have at least one phone in my pocket. But when I have the Z Fold 2, it gives me something different. Mm -hmm. So that's been sort of really helpful to be able to just have different options, different, you know, different tech in my pocket. I can bring out, use, you know, whatever I need. So, so okay, so I'm confused. So most of us tech people carry two phones regularly at all times, but you go back and forth. So why not just carry both an iPhone and an Android on you at all times? You know, so that that's that's usually it's least that's what I'm doing right now. Um, I like to put myself fully inside of an ecosystem. That's why I've done that six months on, six months off. Okay. You know, it's hard to review Android devices when you're not really using an Android device. And you can see the changes 
you know, I think in six months intervals, you can see the security updates, you can see different versions of operating systems, you can start to see improvements in the OS. So I like to sort of really ensconce myself in it to better appreciate the reviews that I'm doing and so I can better understand things. iOS, for the most part, on the iPhone tends to stay the same. So, you know, throughout that six months, that's plenty of time to sort of experience it. But uh, on the Android side, you know, it's things change very quickly and there's more option and more variance. So I can really right. experience everything. So this is funny because I, John, I like I have no interest in the S21 line of phone because I have the Fold 2. And the I, Fold know it. I know it. The Fold 2 it kind of ruined other phone for me, man. I, I can't go from a Fold 2 to an S21, but you are doing it. How are you doing it when you have the Fold 2 in your hand? How, how can you go back to a regular Samsung after using that beat of a Fold, man? I'm a weird guy. I know a lot of people that have been doing this for a while get bored of phones and they get burnt out and they don't, they, they don't enjoy them anymore. I love phones. Like, I love it. I live and breathe phones. One of the best parts when I switch to Android is I can pop my SIM into any different phone that I want. Mm -hmm. So if I'm going out with my family, I want a really good camera, I'll take the S21 Ultra with me. If I'm just going to the studio and I want to be able to have a bigger phone for reading scripts and notes, I'm going to take the Fold. You get that option, and that's part of the fun of making that switch sort of in those six-month clips. Interesting, interesting. Because, like I said, like me and a bunch of other people, I know we usually just carry two phones at one because we got the yep. best the world. Then we don't have to really make that choice. But I, I can see where you're coming from. You want to really dig deep into whatever ecosystem that you are consuming at that time. So that definitely makes sense. So I, I respect that. Nice. Thank you, Preston. I appreciate that. I want to give a shout out. I see uh, some friends in, in the comments. We got Terrence and Danny in there. Thank you guys for um, the support and saying hi. I don't know if I would say all phones, Terrence, but yeah, I mean, it, most Samsung phones, I, I don't know how the S21 can measure, measure up with the Fold 2. I, I, I don't see it, but I haven't used it, so I can't really make look, that determination. Look at that candid pose of Terrence Harry. Put the, put, put the poets back up there. I wonder how that picture got taken. Oh, I'm just, <laughs> just hanging. I'm just hanging out laughing. Look at me. I'm starring in Verizon commercials. Oh, my God. John is just flexing on him. For those of y'all listening on audio, there's a picture up of our boy, the poet here. And he's looking like he he's doing a, like a modeling shoot or something. He got his arm posed on the back of his head, posing like he's a GQ model. <laughs> we're making fun of him. We kind of roasted him on the podcast, but he's cool people. He's, cool he's people. a good dude. He's a good dude. He can laugh at himself. <laughs> oh, no doubt, man. No doubt. He is cool people. So. Interesting question for you. Yeah. Uh, we, we had a very interesting 2020. We are into 2021. But one of the most controversial things that happened in tech last year, I can't believe I'm saying last year. It's so, it's so crazy. But one of the most controversial things that happened in tech last year, John, was Apple removing the charger from the iPhone boxes. And now Samsung has followed suit with the S21 line of phones. What are your thoughts on Apple removing the charger from the box? Listen, so first, I don't think Apple removing things from phones is going to stop there. Um, <laughs> right. And I'll get, I'll get to that. Uh, it was a predictable move. Uh, and I think Apple can take the stance of e-waste and environmental waste all they want. That was a cost-saving measure. Clearly, I get it. You're a publicly traded company. You're trying to make money. I don't fault them for it. I'm like, I can be annoyed by it, but I don't, I don't fault that. Uh, but I think it's a first step towards Apple removing more things. And I do maintain that this year, we will see one phone remove the ports, one iPhone without ports. That is the big rumor. Um, at least one of the iPhone 13s, assuming they call it that, will remove all of the ports. So it'll be a device that will need to be charged and uh, used uh, completely wirelessly and things like that. I don't think that we are quite ready. We do not have the infrastructure in place to support a completely wireless device. How do you feel about a potentially completely portless iPhone? Do you think we're ready for that or are we still a few years away? 
I think everybody's use case is different. I charge my phone wirelessly. I can't remember to, I try not to carry any lightning cables whatsoever. Um, I have no problem with it at all. Uh, according to, so I, I host a podcast and my co-host Andrew Edwards, who's got a pretty reliable track record, uh, has a source that says Apple's ultra wideband chip is capable of data transfer. So if you can take a MagSafe puck, throw on the back, transfer data that allegedly can be transferred to close to Thunderbolt speeds, I can see no reason why Apple wouldn't do it. Uh, I think the amount of times that you plug in your phone would probably be wireless charge, at least one would assume. And I don't think it's going to be every iPhone. I think for those that are ready to try that, there'll be a phone for them, similar to the iPhone 10 and the iPhone 8 when those came out a couple of years ago. And then eventually that'll filter down to the rest of the lineup. So if you're not ready for it right now, you don't have to. It's fine. Plenty of ports with iPhones, uh, plenty of iPhones with lightning ports. But I do think that the climate is ripe actually see it and apple's clearly been building towards that for a very long time okay so you say that the the u1 chip in the iphone can support data transfer and maybe Alleg allegedly allegedly but is it at a fast enough rate where it can actually be viable as a standalone option and not having the option to plug in because you, no, you know according, according to andrew it's thunderbolt speeds i don't know thunderbolt 2 or 1 or 3 whatever it might be but thunderbolt-esque speed so i imagine it certainly is fast enough i don't think apple would do it if the speeds weren't there. But again, we're only one year since MagSafe, you know, was available for phones, right? So there aren't that many pucks out there, aren't that many chargers out there. So it definitely will be interesting to see how they do it if, if one's bundled in the box um, or if it's something you have to go out and buy to even just charge your phone at all. It's, it's weird. I think my biggest concern with a completely portless iPhone is that if something goes awry with the iPhone, there's no way that we can fix it ourselves. More than likely, we'll have to take it to Apple or send it away or go make a genius bar appointment and how inconvenient will that be? If ultra wideband can do data transfer, there's really no not much of a difference, I suppose, um, than plugging a lightning cable. Yeah, but again, if, if, if the phone is bricked or whatever, and you it's like there's no way to communicate with like the outside world, then you at, at that but point. Isn't that, hmm. But isn't that true with lightning too? If the phone is bricked, can't communicate with the outside world either, even via lightning. Yeah, but at least with lightning, you have somewhat of a chance, maybe. But if it's like Portland, then you got no option. You got no, 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 no fallback. I don't know. I don't know. It's interesting, though. It's very interesting. Yeah, I mean, I, I think it's the same thing. But obviously, I think, you know, I think when Apple does make that move, whether it's this year or next year, certainly it'll be with those things in mind, right? They'll have already have addressed those issues. I sure hope so, because they're going to, I mean, but like you said, it's not like it's going to be for all iPhones. Only one of them will probably be completely Portland. So if you're not ready for that, you can buy a regular iPhone with a lightning port. So yeah, we're still. We're yeah. not at a point where Apple is going to only offer a Portland iPhone. So you make a good point there. Definitely. So I know, John, that you are a veteran of the Consumer Electronics Show, CES. I am a grizzled, grizzled yes, veteran. And as you are well aware, we, had, we have just completed our very first all-virtual, all-digital CES. So I'm curious to get your opinions of your thoughts on this year's all-digital CES. Yeah, so I have gone physically to, I think, 11 CES in a row. This Whoa. year was my favorite. What? Oh, okay, okay. Hands down, my favorite, uh, for the big reason of I didn't have to pay attention. I didn't ah. have to go anywhere. Ah. I didn't have to attend any virtual keynotes. Ah. Uh, I could sleep in. Ah. And all my sponsorship stuff that I needed for CES was filmed before the show started. Ah. So. <laughs> Did y'all hear that? He said he didn't have to pay attention. <laughs> I mean, listen, I, that, listen, that's the honest answer, right? CES is brutal going there. You end up with some sort of sickness, which is even more scary now. You're tired. I'm away from home. Um, I didn't have to deal with any of that. I got all the news that came out easily. I didn't have to go anywhere. It was amazing. Okay, so 
So I know, like I said, I've never been in person, so I don't have the same thoughts that you have. But I know, like you said, you don't have to pay attention and you don't have to attend the virtual keynote. But I yeah. did, John. I did attend some of the virtual keynote because this was actually yeah. my first. Yeah, this was my first ever one. So I, I kind of, I took some of it in. I didn't, I didn't do everything, but I did attend some of those virtual keynotes, John. And I, bruh, I am so glad that me and you exist because some of these companies and their employees have no clue how to present their own product in a in a in a in a consumer friendly manner. They are boring. AF, you didn't miss anything, John. Somebody presentation was like watching paint dry. It was. I did, I did see them after the fact, though. You know, and a lot of them, I was able to have the information before it came out. You know, so like phones got announced, that kind of thing. We had it beforehand, so I was like, yeah, I've got the spec sheet. Why do I gotta watch a hour and a half keynote? So you, so you saw some of it after the fact. So you know what I mean when I say it was like watching paint dry. Yeah, they're they're bad. They're usually bad in person. Now they now they were just bad online. Ooh. And online, you could so you know, you can oversleep or have a cup of coffee. In person, you got to really sit there pretending you're paying attention. <laughs> but yeah, it, it was it was pretty cool that they were still able to put on an event, even given our current climate. So that was cool. But yeah, some some of those keynote, I'm like, nope, no, I'm good. But some of them were good though. Some like uh like AMD CEO Lisa Thu, I don't remember. Yeah. She did a hell of a job. She rocked it. And I think Razor did an awesome job. Yeah. Let, let me ask you. Assuming the world is a different place in January of 2022, will you attend CES? If I am able to, absolutely. I that, th- and they have different requirements, right? Yeah. Uh, actually, I got lucky this year because I know they used to be more stringent on the, the social uh, media influence or the, the influencer requirements, but they have lacked those in the past year or so. So I met the requirements. So I imagine I will meet the requirements next year if they don't change them. So, Yeah. I will make you a deal, and we'll do it on camera and for posterity. For some reason, they change the requirements. And you're unable to get into CES. I would love to get you a badge as my guest. Oh, okay, okay. I appreciate you. Nice. Okay. I see how hard you're working. I see how hard you're out there hustling. If they change the requirements, it's of no fault of your own. Um, so if, if that's helpful to the thing you want, we can talk about it as that gets closer. But certainly, it would be my pleasure to help facilitate that. I appreciate you. I think for me, more it's more about financial cost and hotel room and board. More. Absolutely, that's more. That's more the big thing with me, but it's not really the requirement. But I appreciate you. So I sure, thank, man. thank you, man. That's, that's pretty major, man. Thank you, no doubt. But yeah, one day I hope to go, man, because I would love to meet you and some of the other tech YouTubers and content creators in person. I mean, that would be amazing. I know I hear all the stories. I hear about all the networking that goes on, all the parties and things like that. So I definitely want to go one day. So hopefully, it's crazy, will- man. It is a crazy time. Yeah. Hopefully, we'll get back to a point where we can go to these events in person because I hope they don't go away. I know there's a lot of thought, John, that some of these events may go away for good in person because, I mean, the climate, the pandemic has changed things. Yeah, you know, CES has been changing. You know, it used to be like Microsoft would give a keynote every year and Bill Gates and Steve Ballmer. That's how CES started and how it began. Um, And that was awesome, right? And it was about new tech and it got launched and things were different every year. And what phones was Samsung going to announce? How was Apple going to overtake the show without being there? Uh, and then companies started doing their own keynotes. You know, they started doing it privately where they can control the news. You know, at CES, you can announce a huge product and you have everyone's attention for an hour. And then another company comes out and there's something new. And you put in years of R&D and millions of dollars for a very small window. So then yeah. CES kind of morphed and kind of became about cars and car <laughs> technology and that kind of stuff. Um, but without the in-person event, I don't know how much relevancy CES is going to continue to have, especially as like the workplace is changing and people are working from home and things can be done virtually. I'm sure there'll be a physical in-person keynote again and, and physical show again, but I, I do wonder how relevant it's going to be. 
Ooh, that, that's a bold statement right there, Mr. Reddy. And I think anybody who's been there for years, so I know, you know, Renee just opted in, in here. Um, He's here. Yeah, one of the nicest human beings on the planet. Yes, you know, folks who've seen CES change, you know, over the past 10 years, I think we can attest that the show's influence is clearly waning. Now, it can certainly reinvent itself. E3 did it. Um, but as it was going, I think a reset is probably going to be necessary. I have heard it before, and I think you are definitely onto something because, like you said, I think the show had kind of lost some of its luster from years past, mm-hmm. and the pandemic probably accelerated that. So they will need to change a few things uh, about the show going forward, probably. But I don't, I don't see it going away or anything like that. I think CES isn't going to be around for a very long time. Yeah, I mean, I think it certainly uh, will be, but I do think it's going to change, uh, and the main focus of the show is going to is going to change. Definitely. Shout out to those of y'all who are listening on audio only this week. Thank you for listening to another episode of Bipe Job with me and John Rettinger, one of the OGs of tech YouTube, one of the greatest tech content creators the platform has ever seen. If you want to go check out his YouTube content, his channel link will be in the show notes. Definitely go down there and check him out. He is legit. Also, if you want, if you would like to support the podcast, there should be a buy me a coffee link in the show notes as well. Not required. But anything that you're willing to contribute, greatly, greatly appreciate it. If you happen to be listening on an Apple device or via Apple Podcast, which most of you are, please consider leaving that rating or review because that helps more people discover the show, help us get back to the top 200 of tech podcasts, and it would help me out greatly. So if you are listening on Apple Podcast, please consider leaving a rating or review. And thank you for listening to another episode of Vibe Drive. Vibe, can I, can I chime in here? You mentioned ways that people could help the podcast and help the channel. Yeah. And uh, I put a tweet up the other day. There's a lot of things that people can do that they don't realize to help their favorite creators. Mm-hmm. Um, and especially newer channels, uh, channels that are trying to get their name out there. There's a lot of things that people can do that I don't think they realize that are very simple and easy. So whether Viper, whether it's you or anybody else, if you want to support a creator, the best thing that you can do is while you are logged into your YouTube account, either click on their video from your home feed or search out their name in YouTube, go to their channel, click on their video, and watch at least one video all the way through. The entire algorithm on YouTube is determined by click-through rate and watch time. So click-through rate, are you clicking on a video that you see based on title and thumbnail, and are you giving the platform the watch time that needs to be recommended? And if there's a channel that you want to support, just clicking on a video and clicking away does nothing. In fact, it actually hurts the channel. Yeah, clicking on somebody's link inside of Twitter and they post a video, YouTube doesn't know who you are. You open up a browser inside of Twitter that's not trackable for YouTube whatsoever. It barely helps the creator. If you want to help a creator, a small channel, if you're a small channel and you want people in YouTube to recommend your videos more, that is the best thing you can do. And I want to remind people that YouTube's job is not to show people your videos. YouTube's job is to make money from the people watching those videos. Your job as a creator is to get the algorithm to show your content. And that's one way that you could help give yourself the edge. I am glad you said that because I have a lot of up-and-coming creators that watch me and there's this, 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 this taboo, or not a taboo, there's this myth out there that YouTube doesn't favor small creators. And I think we both know, John, that that's not particularly true. I mean, I am a small creator by channel type, but my videos get out there and things like that. And I'm pretty sure you've seen other smaller channels get out there so yeah. what, what advice would you give John to uh, creators that are just starting out that feel like they're yeah. not in the traction that they deserve? So here's the advice. Do not get caught up on subscriber numbers. Subscriber mm. numbers are nothing more than vanity numbers nowadays. Maybe they help with sponsor dollars and rate cards, 
but they really do nothing as far as YouTube pushing your video. Almost all views that matter to YouTube come from the home feed. And in that way, the home feed is sort of the great equalizer for all YouTube channels, whether it's channels with a million subscribers or channels with 10,000. The playing field is surprisingly equal and surprisingly level. And the best advice I can give is don't copy anybody. Don't try to be Marquez or Lou or whoever it is, because already out there, right? Find something new and be the most original you. And I'm going to embarrass Renee because he's, I don't think he's still, still here, but either, you know, Renee found an, such an incredible niche inside of a really crowded vertical of Apple content. As someone you can sit there and explain and you trust the expertise. And that was something that he saw as a need and his content could fill. And the growth has reflected that. So there's always a need. You just have to find it and put out the effort and do the work like, like Renee did, you know, to sort of find that, that vertical and find the best thing that you can do to fill it. Absolutely. Renee, I mean, the dude has been, his, he's, had his, uh, he's had his most recent channel for less than a year. He's already over 200,000 subscribers yeah. because, like John said, Renee found a need, he met the need, and he puts out quality content consistently. That's the other thing that I always preach. If you're going to be on YouTube, you have to pump out the content consistently. Now, that does not mean you have to upload every day because that's craziness. But if you're going to upload once a week, make sure you're uploading every single week. If you're going to upload twice a week, make sure you're uploading twice a week, every single week. Consistency yeah. is key as a creator on YouTube for sure. So, and, and additionally, you know, there for, for every, you know, one Renee Ritchie, there's, you know, thousands of people that are trying it. Mm -hmm. I mentioned click-through rate being really important. So that's the rate that YouTube shows your video and somebody's actually clicking on it. And the only things that you can control with click-through rate, your title and your thumbnail. Yep. Those are two things. Do not even start for any creator out there. Don't start making a video until you know in your head what that title and thumbnail are going to be. Don't let those be afterthoughts or after the facts of your video. You can make the most amazing Picasso-level video masterpiece. If you've got a bad title and thumbnail, no one's going to see it, and YouTube is going to bury it. He ain't never lied. I mean, this thing coming from one of the OGs of YouTube right here. He is letting y'all know the secret sauce. This is the sauce right here. Y'all need to pay. Hey, no. It's easily accessible stuff, right? And yeah. like, and you can change your title and thumbnail after those videos go live too. Watch yeah. your real-time analytics. And if you're not getting the views you want, swap the thumbnail and see if that changes things. Swap the title and see if that changes things. People give me crap all the time for like, why'd you change your title six times? I'm like, well, because I want to get views. I want to <laughs> give myself the best chance for people to see my content. Like, that's why I'm doing it. There's not rocket science here. I'm just doing what you need to do to use the system to give yourself the best chance. Who dare out there question John Renge? I mean, listen, plenty of people, and rightfully so. But there's a lot of things that you can do to give yourself the edge as an established creator or a new creator. Listen, man, you have been doing this, what, 10 plus years Long now? Long time, my friend. You got over a million subscribers doing tech content. So obviously you have some idea what you're doing because you've been doing it for 10 years. Now, it's one thing to put out content on YouTube, but it's a whole other thing entirely to have that type of longevity on the platform, which is constantly changing. So Thank again, you. don't mess with John Renger. He's doing something right. <laughs> I appreciate it. Thank you. But speaking of YouTube, let's, let's, let's dig in a little bit deeper with that because you recently, I think, began a second channel. So talk about that a little bit. Yeah, so I... I've after I sold Technobuffle, I kind of wanted to be behind the scenes on a new YouTube channel, kind of start something different and sort of use some of the things I've learned where I'm just behind the scenes helping run the channel. So we launched the Apple Circle, uh, which is focused on, on Apple Focus News to, you know, made some mistakes and sort of try to grow it there. Uh, it's about 55,000 subscribers and it's been a lot of fun. 
But in my 10 years uh, on YouTube, when I started, um, it was really hard to figure out how to manage money that was coming in, how to grow money. I, I have a family, so and we're a single family income. So it's really important to me that I can provide for my family. And I started taking classes. I went back to school and got my MBA just to learn how I could best provide for my family. And I've sort of long had the idea that I think a lot of people, and myself included, mismanage our finances and miss out on a lot of opportunities to grow whatever money you have, whether it's $5, $10, $5,000, or $50,000. There's a lot of things that people can do to grow their money. And I just want to share those expertise and sort of share what I've learned and share the mistakes that I've made, help people find new passive income streams, help people grow and increase their wealth and hopefully increase their happiness and more importantly, increase the mark they can make on the world. That is pretty awesome, man. That's, that's awesome. So what, what is the name of that channel? So uh, it's called Money Rush, or at least it will be uh, when we've been around for 30 days. We can get our custom URL. Wow. Uh, but you can, you can search for Money Rush on YouTube uh, and find it. I had filmed a pilot that was all about finding opportunities in the stock market. And I was going to launch with that. And then Reddit and GameStop happened. <laughs> uh, and I was like, well, screw it. I'm going to launch with that video. I'm going to go make something new. And we filmed it on one day and uploaded it, and uploaded it that night and took the channel live. That is pretty cool. So how did that uh, how did that video do for you? It did okay. You know, it was, it was fun to launch a new channel. So I mean, literally, it's the first video on the channel. So I'm like, you know what? If I can get 500 views, like that's gonna be a win. Uh, we ended up getting about 1,500 views on it uh, and about 1,200 or so subscribers. So it was a nice uh, it was a nice start. You know, but we we're doing the same things I mentioned here. We we're monitoring really closely what our click through rates were, what the watch time were on those videos. I'm trying to learn a new vertical. So. I'm using all the same things that I'm mentioning here on my new channels. Okay, so this is fascinating because I don't think you told anybody about that channel, right? Like, not initially, right? Not really. I think I posted it on Twitter, but I mean, that was it. Um, okay. But mostly I wanted to see how YouTube treated brand new channels. Right. How they treated brand new channels that were coming into a topic that was already very saturated, right? There are thousands of videos talking about GameStop and Reddit. Mm -hmm. um, but also if we optimize for CTR watch time, how could we do on a channel with literally no history? Mm. Um, and that was kind of the goal um, of this. And once there's more videos up there and there's sort of more things going on, you know, I'll publish it more and mention that I'm, I know I'm involved with it and that kind of stuff. Thank you for posting a link there. Um, you know, and then I'll be able to talk more about it and get into some traction, but a new channel is a, it's a clean slate. YouTube has no idea what to do with it. Right. And you got, 1400 views on your very first video. Now, I know it's it kind of topic themed, so you kind of call it the trend jacking wave, yeah. but still, for the first video on a new channel to get 1400 views, that's pretty astonishing, man. Well, thank you. And honestly, it was just what I said, you know, CTR um, and watch time utilizing title and thumbnail. And that was that was all that was all that we've done on that channel. And, you know, I'm optimistic and and hopeful. Now, I, I find it interesting because I just asked John a few minutes ago to give small creators advice now this is come from a guy who's obviously been, obviously been doing it for a long time but also at the same time he is starting a brand new channel so he has to to to, to practice what he preaches in a sense because he's starting a brand new channel so absolutely he's he, he walking the walk he's not just telling you what it is he is actually walking the walk because he has a brand new channel that just got 1400 views on the first video so definitely he what this man is saying he, he he's the real deal Thank you, man. I uh, I appreciate that. I've made plenty of mistakes, and I've continued to make mistakes. But all we can do is try to learn, try to learn from them.
Absolutely. And as I tell people all the time, YouTube is a marathon, not a sprint. There is no such thing as an overnight sensation. You got to be willing to put uh, put it in the work, because if you're not willing to put in the work, you're not going to get very far. And in all honesty, I think that's where what you've done has resonated with a lot of the, you know, the older guys like me have been around for a while. We see somebody, we see it all the time. You know, people reach out, be on my thing, do this. And then they stop posting or they stop mm. doing what they said they were going to do. And there's not much motivation to try to help people who are, don't really have any intention of sticking with the platform, helping themselves. Right. You are somebody who is respectful, talented, and clearly has the drive. And I think that's so refreshing to new creators, to established creators, um, to everybody who's trying to get involved in, in YouTube. I just have a lot of respect for how you conduct yourself and how you've gone, gone about your, your business for the past couple of years. I appreciate you, man. And not to, I don't like to pump myself up too much, but like I said, um, I asked John to be on my podcast two years ago. He was the very first guest. So we are here 143 episodes later bringing him back. So when John tells you that Viper is not a dude that's going to fly by night, that's going to disappear, we are two years later, 143 episodes later in the podcast, and we're doing it again. So I respect you and thank you, thank you for, that, for, the, for the compliment because, again, I, I tell you all all the time, I'm not going nowhere. I'm here. I am getting it done. I'm putting in the work. And that's what it takes to be successful on the platform. Definitely. So we need to talk about the video that you just made. You just made an iPhone 12 Pro Max version Galaxy S21 Ultra video. I did. And you said a couple of things in that video that I got, they got my attention. Come at me, man. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to say what you said. If you're going to come at me, come at me guns blazing. Come at, yeah. come, at, come at me, bro. No, I'm, not, I'm, not, I'm not really going to come at you. I, I just, I'm just curious to get your, your thoughts on your process. So. You made a comment in the video that you felt like if you wanted to take a picture, you would pick up the S21 over the iPhone 12 Pro Max. Now, for the longest time, if we were talking about taking pictures, the iPhone was always the one that you would grab over the Samsung. But talk about what has changed with the S21, John, because obviously, like I yeah. said, like I just said, you said that you would pick up the S21 over the iPhone this time. Yeah, and it's been interesting. I, I don't really have much of an allegiance, despite what people think, when it comes to, to phones. Um I have, I have kids, my use of shooting pictures varies all the time. So I went for the 12 Pro Max for, for the Zoom. I use the Zoom camera. I know I'm in the minority. But even that extra 0.5, was a big reason for me to go for it. Uh, I think every picture I take with the iPhone is some version of good to great. You have to really try to take a crappy picture on the iPhone. I mean, you've got to make like a real effort or tweak manual settings to, to do it. And for a while, especially Samsung phones, the photos were generally oversaturated, more bright and poppy. There was some weird skin smoothing going on that was tricky or impossible to get rid of. Uh, and that's not the case on the S21 Ultra. Uh, in all honesty, and you have so much variability in those lenses. You've got 5, 10, you know, up to 100 times zoom of various utility um, that you can do things that you just can't do with the iPhone. And the pictures now on the S21 Ultra are the same thing as the iPhone. There's some version of good to great. So having a phone that I know is going to take at the very worst a good picture, at the very best an amazing picture, give me more flexibility on the lenses to shoot how I want to shoot. It's hard to say the iPhone is a better camera or the S21 is a better camera, but the S21 does give you more flexibility. And as a photographer, a videographer, the more lenses you have in your bag, the better. Right. So, so what you're saying is that the S21 has slightly more versatility than the iPhone, which is definitely the case. Yeah, um, absolutely. Now, I'm curious to get your thoughts on an interesting subject that we've talked about with Samsung yeah. cameras over the years. 
over the, and I and I have noticed this all my devices, even my phone too. Mm-hmm. So over the past, I would say maybe four, five, six years, I have noticed shutter lag. When I hit the shutter button on Samsung devices, there is a noticeable slight, not not great, but it's a slight lag between when I hit the button and take the pictures. Now I've had other creators comment on it too that they have noticed the lag too, and it's especially noticeable when you are trying to take pictures of your kids in motion and the button doesn't meet your expectation because you're missing a moment yeah. because of the lag. Have you noticed that with the S21 Ultra or has that, you feel like I have been improved? Because you have- The short answer is no. And I have a theory and I have asked, I have asked Samsung and I've asked Qualcomm this and like nobody will give me the answer. Oh man. So my theory is that with every phone up until the S21 line, Samsung had their own processing happening on the pictures. And that was the delay. And with the 880, with the S21s and the Qualcomm Snapdragon 888, they're letting the processor do the processing. And I think that's why the pictures are less contrasty and also why I think that lag that some people have seen is not there anymore. Um, so that, that, that's just my guess. That's the only sort of thing that makes sense. The 888 is an incredibly powerful, capable chip at photo processing. Um, and I think Samsung's letting the chip do its job. So, so what you're saying is that you don't notice that lag on the S21 Ultra? No, no, I, I don't notice it at all. I don't notice any difference between taking a photo and the shutter speed on the iPhone uh, versus the S21 Ultra that I've been using. Okay, okay. Yeah, because that's, that's been kind of a pain point for Samsung cameras, like I said, for the past four or five years. That, that yeah. lag has just been persistent. It's not gone away. So it is nice to, to see that you say that it's kind of gone by the wayside this time. So it's pretty- absolutely gone by the wayside. In one area where the iPhone was clearly superior at least up until last year, it was video, right? I mean, Samsung and Android in general did not excel at video. I mean, that's just, that was the reality um, of, of the devices. And I think that changed a lot with the 865. And with the Snapdragon 888, I think that gap has been almost completely bridged to where it's really tough to see the difference between what the two phones can do. And that's a huge compliment to Android because Apple is so far ahead. Right. Of, uh, of the competition in video. I think the 8K on the S21 Ultra is not that useful, but you can take stills from it. But having the option, again, having the utility and the choice is always really nice. Indeed, indeed. Are you still driving the Tesla Model Y? Uh, Model 3. Model um, until, until the end of December, the lease is up um, in about 10 months. And I'm going to guess that you, like most other uh, of our creative friends, are loving your Tesla experience. I do. You know, I've, I've, I'm enjoying it. I've been driving electric for a while. I had a Model X and an S before then, and I'll, I'll probably always drive electric from, from here on out. Oh, okay. So, so this brings up an interesting question. You were from a Model X to a, and a Model S to a Model 3. Why the downgrade? Yeah, so uh, the S was my first car. The X was the second one. Um, I didn't want to stare at the same interior for another two sure. or three years. Um, I was waiting, like a lot of people, waiting for the interior upgrade that just happened on the S and the X. So three was at least different. Um, and it didn't make sense that the S and the X being more expensive would have lesser technology, key card, for example, than the Model 3 when the Model Y wasn't out when I got it yet. So that was the that was the reason. Now, did you place an order for the Cybertruck? I do have an order for the Cybertruck. I have a deposit down for the Rivian R1T. Um, I don't know. I don't know what I'm going to do. I don't know. They're all they're all refundable. Not sure what's going to happen. Or, or maybe a, a new redesigned Model S or X. This man got an order for the Cybertruck and the Rivian too. You want all the trucks, huh? <laughs> oh, listen, they're, they're refundable, right? You put it down in your place in line, you get your money back. Okay. Um, so, so I, don't know, I had it in my head that I was going to get a truck. So let's ask the hard questions. Which right. one are you going to keep, John? Which one are you going to keep? 
I don't know, man. <laughs> um, you don't know. Honestly, I would have said the R1T up until the redesign of the S and the X, but I really like the redesign. So I don't know. I don't. I don't know, my friend. I, ask me in like eight months, and then I'll then I'll have a clear answer. Okay. I want to drive the R1T first to see if it's really the right car for me. Okay, so another question: With anytime there's a new Tesla vehicle announcement, there we never know when they'll actually come to market. I mean, they'll give us a time table, but usually with it. Are we going to see the type of truck actually all out there on the roads this year? Do you think? No. no. Zero point zero chance. Oh my goodness! Come on, Elon. I think Elon Musk even said as much. So that truck is going to be built at their new factory in Austin, Texas. And as of right now, that factory does not have walls. Oh wow! Okay. So. You gotta first finish the exterior building. Right. Then you've got to get the equipment inside of the building. Yep. Then you have to get the raw materials inside of the building, casting, all that stuff. And you have to test it. You gotta prototype it. If they deliver any trucks this year, which I think is a very slim possibility, it will be in the double digits. Uh, I don't imagine mass market for the Cybertruck until end of Q1, Q2 of 2022. Interesting. So you talked about the, the Teslas. You talked about the, the Rivian RT. Who do you think is important to like kind of catch Tesla in the electric vehicle market? Because obviously Tesla is killing it, but somebody has to compete with them at some yeah. point. Yeah, there's, there's a lot of competition. I think what Porsche is doing with the Taycan is really interesting on the high end, you know, competing right. for luxury and performance and not necessarily range. Uh, I think Rivian is going to give Tesla a huge run for their money with the truck and SUVs, with their R1T and their R1S. And I think what Lucid did with the Lucid Air in a 500-mile range was dropping the gauntlet for, for range and luxury. But where no one's going to touch Tesla is in their AI and their software prowess. Right. And I think you're seeing companies realize that. Just today, Ford announced a deal with Google to let Google essentially power the next four years of their cars. And that's just not like Android Auto. That's Google's AI inside Ooh. of the car. Oh, wow. That's Google handling software updates. Oh, boy. That's Google handling machine learning on the cars. That's manufacturers realizing that there's a gap between what they are doing and what Tesla is doing. Indeed. And until that gap gets bridged, um, I think Tesla is still going to be running away with market share, mind share, and quite frankly, a share price. That That is a good point. That is serious when they partner with Google to have access to Google full AI because Google's AI is pretty serious. So big deal, big big deal. We will see how that plays out. That that's gonna be serious. Um, what do you think about the fourth uh, Mustang Mach E? Beautiful car. Yeah, absolutely. I have I have not driven it. I've seen it in person. Um, Ford's doing a good job, man. I mean, aside from maybe the Mustang name, people don't like on electric car. <laughs> I mean, the the early reviews on the Mach E have been really positive. Experience has been positive. Um. What units that they've shipped have been really positive. Press feedback has been positive. It's hard to have a car overwhelmingly that good. Uh, and it does appear that Ford's got a huge hit on their hands. Yeah, I, I have not had, I have not driven it or anything like that, but it was at the Chicago Auto Show last year. So I saw one up close and personal, and it is a nice car. It's a good, it's a good looking car, right? Like whether you agree or not with the Mustang name on it, it's a good looking car. It is. It is. I'm, I'm curious to see where Ford does with it moving forward. But I mean, that's a hell of a start for sure. Yeah. I mean, Ford's got the electric F-150 coming next year, which is a huge, huge, huge vehicle for them. Right. Ooh, it's yeah. It's sold, I think, every 90 seconds in the in the, uh, in the U.S. So it's going to be real interesting to see how that does. Yeah. I think that's the number one selling pickup in the mm -hmm. U.S. Oh, yeah. Number one selling car, like any vehicle in the U.S. Oh, wow. OK. Wow. Yeah. That is that is amazing. OK. 
Yeah, so an electric version of that, that's definitely going to move some needle for sure. Mm-hmm. So I know we got to get you out here pretty soon, but I am curious. I got to ask you, we're in 2021. What technology are you looking for? Uh, yeah, what technology are you looking forward to in 2021? Or what are you looking forward to getting your hands on this year? So here's what I think. Okay. I'm going to make a prediction, Viper. Ooh. Talk about it. Share it. And tell you what I think. Mm-hmm. A few years ago, you may remember a small company called Samsung released a device called the Galaxy Fold. Yeah. Too much fanfare. And then they had to recall it, yep. <laughs> retweak it, put yep. it out a few years. I think when Samsung came out, the original Galaxy Fold, had they just called it the developer's edition, it would have been a much more leeway given as far as what that device could do, right? I think we are going to see a developer edition of a rollable device. I think we are going to see a very delicate, not very practical, rollable phone or t- perhaps tablet come from some manufacturer. My inclination is that it'll probably be Samsung come out towards the end of the year. It'll probably be prohibitively expensive and again, not have much utility, but it's going to represent something very new and the first new form factor we've seen since the foldable market started kind of blowing up the past year or so. That is a very interesting prediction because at CES this year, we saw the LG rollable and also TCL is making a rollable. Yep. But you're saying that you think Samsung will be the first to market with a rollable, huh? Okay. I think Samsung, I think when LG and TCL do it, they'll be more consumer-ready products. I think when Samsung does it, they're developing out in the open, like yep. what happened with the Galaxy Fold. Yep. That's why calling it a developer edition would have eliminated all that, all those question marks, right? Screen protector issue, panel gaps, and all those kind of things. It's developer edition. We know what we're getting into. We're helping test and we're willing to pay for that privilege. Um, and I think Samsung's one of the few companies that will develop in the open. You know, LG's experimental wing, experimental um, division, like with the LG wing and that kind of stuff is interesting. But I don't think, at least they haven't shown it yet, that they're developing out in the open like Samsung has. Right. Now, that's interesting to me because we haven't heard anything about a Samsung rollable, but um, obviously they're probably working on one because Samsung's working on every damn thing. So there's definitely yeah. one back there somewhere, I'm guessing. I can, I, I can say unequivocally, uh, and on the record, the Samsung is definitely working on a roll. Oh, he, here we go with the inside information for Mr. Ranger. I, 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 can, I can say that for certain. I like that. All right. I mean, I'm, I'm not surprised because, again, Samsung, they're such a big company and they're working they work on everything. So I'm not surprised yeah. at all. Yeah, that's amazing. Jar Ranger, 143 episodes later. Thank you for coming back. I appreciate you, man. Thank you. Viper, thank you for having me, man. I appreciate you. Thank you to everybody for for supporting creators out there. And again, support your creator any way, any way that you can. Thank you for the time, man. Thank you for having me back. No doubt. Shout out to those of y'all who are listening on audio only this week. Thank you for listening to another episode of Vibe Job with me and John Rettinger. If you want to go check out his content, his channel link will be in the show notes. Definitely check him out. He is legit. He's been doing it for a long time. One of the best to ever do it. If you would like to support the podcast, there should be a buy me a coffee link down there. Again, it is not required, but anything that you are willing to contribute, greatly, greatly appreciate it. If you happen to be listening on an Apple device on Apple Podcast, please consider leaving a rating or review as it helps more people discover the show, helps us get back into the top 200 of tech podcasts on Apple Podcasts and all that good jazz. So if you are listening on an Apple device, which most of you are, please consider leaving that rating or review. And thank you for listening to another episode of Vibe Drive. But until the next time, people, this your boy Viper, the man about tech. You know where to find me. So come back for more.